Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Love Hour. I'm your host, Miss Kev on stage, and I am joined by my husband and co-host. The Kev on stage. I've been messing that up here lately, but yeah, I got it together. I, mean, I, let, you live. I let you live because I love you. Um, you so, the we the person. Huh? I love you the person. <laughs> I don't get it. Mm. Oh, okay. Me neither. Uh, I should be saying stuff. Okay, got it. So we are essentially closing out our infertility series, which again, I was so honored to be able to talk to all of my guests. And we have another doctor. Her name is Dr. Cindy Duke. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Cindy. Do you want Dr. Cindy or Dr. Duke? Dr. Cindy's fine. Dr. Cindy, okay. Um, Dr. Cindy, I will give you the space to introduce yourself to the people that may be unfamiliar with you. Oh, well, thank you, both of you. Hello, hello, love our podcast world. So I'm Dr. Cindy Duke. I'm a board-certified Johns Hopkins and Yale-trained obstetrician, gynecologist, and fertility specialist, who's also a virologist by training. Um, I'm based in Las Vegas, Nevada. I am the founding physician, medical director, and laboratory director of the Nevada Fertility Institute here in Las Vegas for the past four years. I'm also an advocate for women's health, educating women, educating women of color about their bodies, their health, and particularly passionate about fertility, not just infertility, but fertility, and how we preserve it and how we teach everyone, including our younger people coming up, how to better take control of their fertility and their goals as they go through life. Oh, that was really great. Thank you for that introduction. And it immediately spawned a question for me. How, how do you define, uh, and I think this is really for my own information, the differences between infertility and fertility? Like I have my own definition, but I've, yes. even in this series, I kind of struggled with what to name it because in some mm-hmm. regards, I feel like infertility could be a little insensitive, but I feel like it's also appropriate. Yes. But is mm-hmm. fertility not an accurate way to represent some of the struggles that are associated with this? So I kind of struggled with that. So yes. can you give us your, your definition? 
Well, I would define fertility as one's inherent ability to create future progeny or future children. And so fertility refers to periods. If we're talking about a woman or a girl, we're talking about your periods, your ovaries, your uterus, the structures. Um, it, re it refers to the psychology of it. Mm. It refers to things as straightforward as the birds and the bees, because it all falls under the umbrella of fertility. Infertility, yes, for some people, the term can really stab like yeah, a knife. Triggering, yeah. And I think it's because it tends to be associated with a longstanding taboo that suggests it's a failure on the part of the mm. person if they're infertile. And it goes all the way back to biblical times. Infertility is in the Bible. Fertility yeah. is all over the Bible. Um, but definitely infertility comes with so much taboo, so much baggage that it's hard for people to hear it and continue listening. That said, it is a medical term. It is a disease. And I think it's important that we explain that it's a disease because many people think infertility is a state of mind where yeah. if you just fix your mindset, you're not infertile. But that's not true. It's a disease with a very defined disease pattern and a definition for how you diagnose it. So infertility as a disease tends to be defined based on women and we look at women specifically age 35 as the demarcation point so if you're under 35 and you're a woman and you've been having unprotected regular heterosexual intercourse for a year for 12 months meaning having relations every other day for a year around the time of ovulation and you haven't had at least one positive pregnancy test that is considered infertility. If you are 35 and older, having unprotected regular intercourse, heterosexual relations for six months and haven't had a positive pregnancy test, that again is considered infertility in its most basic terminology. Now, infertility over the years, we now know it has layers to it. Mm -hmm. So like some people can get pregnant, but they don't stay pregnant. And right. that's what we call recurrent pregnancy loss or recurrent miscarriage. And we have gotten us so far as we've now defined that, which is if you've had two or more losses in your lifetime, so they don't have to be back to back. I was just going to ask you've that. Had yeah, you don't, they don't have to be back to back. If you've had two or more losses in your lifetime, that is considered recurrent pregnancy loss. It falls under the broader definition of infertility, but it's a special case that needs to be discussed because for a lot of people struggling with recurrent miscarriage, they actually seek out care way too late because they're like, I, I'm not infertile. I don't have a problem getting pregnant. But fertility has to do with not just ability to get pregnant, but ability to go on to birth a child. And we then later on break it down into like primary infertility or secondary infertility based on whether you've actually had a child before or not. Um, and so it, there's a lot to talk about there. And then as we talk about men, because like I said, infertility in its broadest right. terms is based on the woman, but there is male factor infertility, but we don't actually address it until we know that the woman's tried for a year if she's under 35 generally, or if she's over 35, she's tried for six months. 
That was actually really great definition. That was a lot. Yeah, it was. Of but great information. I was literally I I didn't even know that if you had sex every other day for a year, you should get pregnant. I thought it was if it's unprotected. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I guess <laughs> I, I don't know what I thought. I just didn't think it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I thought. I just thought it would be. Again, I don't know what I thought because I'm just <laughs> yeah. like that. When you put it in terms like that, it's I don't want to say automatic, but it seems more like uh, expected. You know, mm-hmm. if you're having regular unprotected, I mean, every other day is is a good amount, a lot of sex. Um, Three but, times a week. Yeah. Dang, really? It's only seven days in the week. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess you think, you, you just think um, pregnancy is more... Um, getting pregnant is more um, like lightning in a bottle. And when yes. that definition, it doesn't feel like lightning in a bottle. It feels like no. if you're doing this and everything's working, then mm-hmm. it happen within a year. Yes. So I'll tell you, Kev, you're right, because I actually have a lot of patients who are shocked when I say, actually, you haven't been infertile for a year. You've been infertile for seven years. Because we have a lot of couples who they've been having regular unprotected intercourse for a long time, but maybe five, six years into the marriage is when they said, oh, now we should try to get pregnant. Ah. And so in their mind, that's when they started trying. But when I'm listening, I'm like, actually, you guys, have, if you haven't been using protection all this time, you haven't been using even the natural protection, you know, what we call the rhythm or pull-out method, and uh-huh. you've never had a scare, you've never had a positive test or anything, that gives me cause for concern right mm-hmm. away, because we should have had a, you know, an accident, an oopsie, if yeah. you're having that break. I know. Right. Mm-hmm. definitely weren't mm-hmm. like we're gonna have kids it's like it's oh not, it's not planned kids. right 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 yes. like, i mean we know that's how kids come but we really be surprised like oh snap so it's like, true but i think actually about think parents, oh go ahead i just so it, in in your thing it kind of feels like when people decide that's when that's they start when they start to track it or yes, track it, that's it? when they're tracking it and so i think that's one of the big things that for many patients as they start talking to their OBGYN and definitely when they're talking with their fertility specialist, they're shocked when they start realizing, wait a minute, my issue may have been from before, you know? And so, you know, like I'll have a patient and we're talking to a couple and she'll say, well, we've been trying for a year, but I'll turn to the husband. I said, well, how many years have you had regular unprotected intercourse in your sexual lifetime? Uh And he'll say, Always. And I'd say, well, have you ever been called? Have you ever got the phone call? Maybe somebody got prayed. He's like, not once. And, you know, you hear him say, well, I've been very careful. Um, But the truth is, if you are really having regular unprotected intercourse, especially with the same person, for extended periods of time, and you've never had a, a maybe this happened situation there might be something underlying Mm. and so for a lot of people it's not uncommon to hear actually when you finally parse it out and put it on paper that their infertility extends beyond a year two years three years four years wow i you know i'm gonna be completely honest here I thought, I don't know what more information I can learn about this from, you know, we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. 
so much more. Yeah, it's super layered. I feel like this might have been a, a better thing to yeah. be a She was a supposed foundation. to be first. Oh, yeah, Dr. Like, Cindy was supposed to be first. Like, this is yes, a, and then I had surgery. No, <laughs> she's a real doctor, you guys. So Yeah, no, doctor, she's not a doctor. <laughs> yeah. And I, pre- I, you know, you choose the patients over us. I, uh, I don't know how hard of a choice that was, but I get it. I feel bad. <laughs> I feel like understanding fertility this way is a great foundation sure. for what, like, in order to understand infertility, what is normal, what is expected. And mm-hmm. this kind of gives me an idea of like, oh, this is how this should work. Right. Um, and I think in my mind, I've heard so many people say, oh, we're going to try, but I, we know they've been having unprotected sex. Like, for you a while. Just, yeah, for a while. Yeah. I just never put it, put it like that in mm-hmm. my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I actually think that this is a great place to take a break and hear from the Love Hour sponsors. Always remember that supporting our sponsors is supporting the Love Hour podcast. Don't fast forward through this now. Listen. All right. So we took a break to tell you about Beachbody On Demand. Listen, you guys, this is amazing. Beach is that way. Yes. If you want arms like Kevin. It's closed because of coronavirus, but it is that way. (laughs) You can still prep for it. You get access to over 1300 workouts that you can stream anytime on your phone, on your laptop, any source of anywhere it's mobile it's on demand everywhere you go this is the same company behind p90x insanity and 21 day fix and i don't know if you've ever tried insanity but kevin has tried insanity with sean t let me just tell you something they have the insanity max 30 sean t is the type of person that you are exhausted just in the warm-up like before the workout literally he has you sweating yes And you don't need much more. You don't need you don't need one second past 30 when you're working out with Shanti. And this is how I've been able to continue to work out in front of my own home in my garage, because I go in the garage and do it just so I won't be embarrassed when I be taking a break. Because they go hard. They do, they but you stop. can do it in your living room. That's yep. the wonderful thing about this. You can do it in your bedroom. Backyard. You do not need access to a gym. You can do it right from your home, um, especially because, like Kevin said, the gyms are closed. Also, if you don't have 30 minutes, they have workouts as short as 10 minutes. They generally do not require any additional equipment. So, child, get to going. You can view it on your computer or your web-enabled TV, tablet, smartphone, Apple TV, Chromecast, all the things, all the things. Um <laughs> You can get a special free trial membership by texting LOVE, that's L-O-V-E, to 303030. You'll get full access to the entire platform, all workouts, nutrition information, and support absolutely free just by texting LOVE, that's L-O-V-E, to 303030. Um, okay, and we are back. So um, we all just decided just now that this will come out this week. You guys don't need to know that behind the scenes conversation, but we feel like even the idea and the definitions behind fertility versus infertility yeah. is really good and, and foundational information. I actually uh, have a question, doctor. And I think she was going to say something as well. I want to make sure I get back to it. Okay. Um, do you think, this is literally just my mind, I, you, Again, it's something I never thought about. Infertility goes back to the Bible, and it was considered a negative thing in the Bible. Yes. Such a negative thing. Do you think that the, you know, I'll say Christian foundation of America's fabric, do you think that weighs on a lot of your patients of like infertility bad? And Sarah, mm-hmm. Sarah yes, was Sarah, 99 years old. Yeah, yes. Hannah, and this, and like, mm-hmm. you know, be fruitful and multiply. Does that? way in people's minds even if they're not christian i noticed you said even in your definition of fertility psychology 
Yes, psychology. Yeah. Psychology plays a major role. And yes, it's inherent in the fabric of not just American society, but cultural traditions around the world. As you know, for many cultures around the world, being able to have a baby is proof that the marriage was consummated, right? Mm. And so for, just a set. No, you have to produce a baby shortly thereafter, a year or so, you know? Oh, and so yeah. there's a lot of pressure. In some cultures, a man has grounds for either divorcing or taking on a second wife if the first wife couldn't produce a child. That's Ishmael. Ergo Ishmael. Exactly. <laughs> Ergo Ishmael. And so, you know, it, it comes with an incredible amount of pressure. It comes with pressure even in what child you birth. In many cultures, that pressure for a son is so strong in many oh, religious yeah. bases as well and even when it's not religious yeah in certain inheritance pictures in yeah. the world including in the united states birthing a male heir is so important that it's incredible pressure and so while i'm a fertility infertility specialist and i'm seeing patients struggling with infertility etc we also see people who come in for reasons that on paper aren't the strictest definition of infertility but it's more maybe they need a son you know mm. or they you know she's birthed four or five children but she's concerned that if she doesn't have that son the husband may still seek a way to have a son. And, really? you know, yeah, there are lots of cultural taboos, religious taboos, personal psychological taboos. I have patients, and I would say, you know, being frank, we're all speaking here, African-American. I have some patients who come in, they're maybe on their second marriage. They're now maybe 30 something early 40s they have children from before and so this is where we come in with what's called secondary infertility which is one in 16 people couples married couples suffer with secondary infertility with meaning again because we define infertility based on a woman primarily mm -hmm. this is a woman who's previously birthed a child but is now having that 12 month or six month definition applied based on her age because they've been trying and they haven't conceived. Right. And I have women break down because they feel like they're failing their mm. husband. It's not something he's actually said. It's not something mm. that a family member of his has said or the, you know, the proverbial in-laws. It's none of that, but it's more, she feels like as a woman in a marriage, she needs to produce a child for her husband. And if she can't do that, she is not fulfilling her role as a woman. And so psychologically, that really bears down on patients. And I find myself having to have that talk with patients. It's not even so much, okay, let's talk about the medicines and the injections and the tablets. It's first and foremost, let's address the psychological weight that's causing you additional stress, additional um, subtraction from your attention yes. because you're so convinced that you are now failing yourself in this marriage contract. That's really good. And I think it is such a unique dynamic when you're specifically talking about yeah. second marriages Absolutely. Mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. want to have, you know, and yeah, you can, right, you want to have the, our kid together. And that's not to yes. um, take away from, you know, the stepchildren or the, the, uh, the bonus children, Correct. but you want Correct. that, that opportunity to have a child together. Mm -hmm. 
and mm -hmm. um, experiencing that secondary fertility or infertility, I would imagine could be, that could be a it's huge traumatic. Yeah, it's that's traumatic. traumatic. Oh yeah. my goodness. I mean, you take that, you add to the dynamic, the, what we call the cougar. So the older woman, mm -hmm. and she feels extra pressure, which is if I don't have a child with my younger husband who has no children, mm. you know, is yeah. that going to make him reconsider this partnership? Oh. And so there's so many layers to the conversation that um, I, I'm, I'm really grateful for this opportunity because I think for so many people, it's a conversation that they want to have, sure. but they're not sure how to start it. And so right. it's something that they're struggling with inside because who do I go tell this? Because like you said, the Bible, if you're Christian, says be fruitful and multiply. Right. Yeah. And so if I'm not multiplying, something that I'm doing must be causing my lack of fruitfulness. Right. And it's important that we let people know, actually, that's not exactly how it goes. Mm -hmm. And there is help, but we need to be able to help you identify the situation so that we can help. I think, so one thing Melissa and I have been talking about, I think the Love Hour conference, uh, Steve mm -hmm. was talking about um, meta messages. Yes. And what people yes. are saying. And I think one thing you said that I, I can imagine a person feeling pressure without even a, her partner saying mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. or anyone mm -hmm. saying that and then you start to like weigh that on which is probably and i'm curious to know if this is an added uh does this make it more difficult to conceive when you're like you know basically low-key stressed that i haven't done it and it's not working you know what i mean and mm -hmm. you know um one of our other guests had talked about all the like medicine and time and things which doesn't make yes. sex feel like romantic you Correct. know what I mean? so I just imagine you might even be like taking slights and you know, mm -hmm. that are not even a, uh, intended that way because Correct. you can't produce a son or a, ch or a child, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, not even wanting to go into a, see a doctor and realizing it might be your husband, but you're yes. like owning the negative shame mm -hmm. and it's really not mm -hmm. even you. I actually want to, I'll let you answer correct. that. Go ahead. Yes. Because 50% of the time when we're talking of a heterosexual couple struggling with fertility issues, 50% of the time it includes something going on with the sperm. 50%. Wow. I wanted zero. to talk about that. The yes, of the, yes. I feel like as Kevin was just stating, when we do own this wholly, mm -hmm. fertility wholly. is wholly. a, you it's know, the scarlet a woman's letter. responsibility. Yes, yeah. it absolutely is. And I, you know, I see quite a few women and I'd be honest, you know, although I haven't published this particular aspect of the observation for a lot of women who come from communities of color, they tend to come in for the visit alone first because mm -hmm. she wants to get herself checked out. And it speaks to the fact that she feels like it's her. Right. Wow. And, or, you know, I, I'll be introducing to them saying, you know, we're going to there we go. Sorry. We're going to do this for you, but I really also need to examine your husband. And it's important to examine the partner for two reasons, actually, two big reasons. The first is yes, 50% of the time it involves the male partner. But the other reason is because most male issues are reversible. Whereas issues with the women, let's say she has low egg number. As women, we're born with all of our eggs. We don't make new ones. Right. And so if I diagnose a woman as having low or no eggs, 
we're pretty much limited to whatever is remaining in her ovary. If I diagnose a man with low sperm count, there are a number of things I can do to help him make more sperm, i.e., I can help them correct their issue if a big part of the issue involves the male. Right. And so it's actually a way for you to help the couple. Maybe they may not need to go to in vitro, mm -hmm. which is the costly procedure that everybody's worried about and why they don't want to go see the fertility specialists. Well, I might help you avoid that if I can assess your partner, if I can determine, you know, and the secondary infertility affects women, it affects men. And so a lot of people don't realize that. So I have women who also say, no, 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 it can't be him. He's got a son. He's got a daughter. And I'll say, well, when was the last child? And they'll say, oh, his last child is 16 years old, 17 years old, 18 years oh, old. Wow. A lot changes in a guy's yeah, life over yeah. time. And, you know, while men can continue to make sperm well into their 90s, the amount of sperm that you make can go down. The quality of the sperm can decrease. And if you're a guy who's actually on testosterone, quick, I need to let everybody know, testosterone is essentially male birth control. If you're a guy taking testosterone, your sperm counts are going to drop and they may even go to zero while you're on testosterone. Oh, wow. And so it's important to know that. Wow. That was really, I, I've never heard or, or testosterone put that way. Are you, mm -hmm. is this, if you're on testosterone, are we talking like steroids? Or are we talking about uh, well, you testosterone, can, testosterone itself? It's a steroid but most people don't realize that. So for a lot of guys, if they're only on testosterone, he's like, I'm not on steroids. Because historically, when we hear steroids, we're thinking anabolic steroids, which yeah. are the ones that really yeah. you know, bulk guys up in what people use as enhancers in um, sport and so forth. But testosterone, the whole basis of even anabolic steroids is based on how testosterone functions. But testosterone itself is a steroid. But here's the really amazing thing about why testosterone works the way it does when it comes to male fertility. Your testicles are a factory for two things. The testicles make sperm and they make testosterone. It doesn't distinguish between the two in terms of when it needs to make it. It makes those two things on a continuous basis. And testosterone, for those who are listening, is the androgen or the male hormone that really get, defines male characteristics. And so if you have testosterone circulating in your blood, your brain works as the control center that monitors the testosterone levels and it sends feedback to the testicles to say, hey, you're doing a good job, you're making enough, you're not making enough. When it sends that feedback, if the testicle gets a message that says, dial it back, you're, you, we have enough, it doesn't just stop making testosterone. It'll also dial back oh, on the sperm production. Yeah. So if you're a guy injecting testosterone or somebody's put a pellet in you with testosterone, your brain doesn't know that that's coming from a shot. All it knows is it's seeing high levels of testosterone in the blood. That's all the monitor is seeing. It's God. like, we got a lot of testosterone around. Hey, testicle, dial it back. You're working too hard. I got enough here. But it wasn't coming from the right. testicle. And so the testicle shuts down. It also shuts down sperm. And so that's why over that's time. That's why bodybuilders you know, say that they have low sperm count. 
low sperm count or things get smaller? Oh, yeah. <laughs> because your body's like, yo, we're good. Yeah, your body's like, dial it back, man. <laughs> and then you might take more to get stronger, which yes. tells your body we need less. Mm -hmm. And, now and you over time, if you're on it for too long, even when you stop it, we may not be able to wake that system back up. Oh, wow. Mm. And so for some guys who were on steroids or testosterone for extended periods of time, it's really hard to wake the system back up. We may even have to give them the hormone that the brain actually makes to talk to the testicle, which is known as follicle stimulating hormone or FSH, so that we can really wake up that testicle. Um, but what we don't do is put them on testosterone. Yet, if we don't do something to wake things up, he feels awful. Because don't get me wrong, low testosterone feels awful for a man. He feels tired, lethargic, he gains weight without explanation he feels depressed because your testosterone is that hormone that really makes you feel like the guy you are but we have to be very judicious about it and so one of my big advocacy projects and a lot of fertility doctors advocacy projects is helping people understand across the country and around the world that if you are a man who in any way thinks he might want to continue either having children if he already has or plans to have children, if you are being advised to go on testosterone, you should freeze some sperm mm. as backup and also talk very closely with your doctor who's going to treat your low testosterone about your goals. Because I cannot tell you how many couples where I feel like a detective when I find that smoking gun. I'm like, right. aha! <laughs> this is our solution and i have quite a few patients for whom that's all we do we stop the testosterone we put them on something to wake up the testicles and they're calling a few months later pregnant so before i transition out of this number one i heard your comparison was almost like an induced menopause for women yeah mm -hmm. that's andropause as we yeah call oh is yeah. that what it's really called it's a pausing of the androgen production. Yes. Oh, and it can naturally happen with age, which is why as men age, they do have lower testosterone levels that might require supplementation. But if at all he's planning potentially future fertility in any way, we have to talk about that. And one of our big goals, like I said, is reminding the primary care doctors and the ones who are primarily prescribing testosterone to just ask that question of the guy, because he doesn't know that testosterone right. is essentially male birth control. We need to let him know when we put you on this, it can affect your sperm counts. It may render you, if not permanently, temporarily sterile. That's really good to know because the other thing I didn't realize, I've heard freezing eggs over and mm -hmm. over and over. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize you could freeze sperm as well. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. it gives the man that opportunity to do what essentially a woman would do as well, which is yes. reserve the opportunity for later on. Absolutely. And um, I think it's a part of the conversation that needs to happen, needs to happen in our communities. Uh, testosterone supplementation or replacement therapy is becoming very widespread across the United States. Um, I'm in Las Vegas. It's definitely a big deal here in Southern California because for a lot of guys, it's not just how you feel, it's how you look. Mm. And if you really want results in the gym, a little testosterone gets you there faster. And um, it's important that we explain that while it does those amazing things, your fertility can be can impacted. Be impacted. 
Really good. Okay, this is a great place to take a break. All right, now we want to tell you about Thrive. We told you about them before. Why? Because they are down for the shenanigans that is the Black Lives Matter movement. Let's go Thrive. They are not just talking about Let's it. They are putting Thrive. their money where their mouth is. And beyond that, they also offer amazing um, groceries. They're delivering organic and sustainable groceries right to my door. Um, I wish I was at home, but I got the um, almond butter, peanut butter mm-hmm. kind of situation. You can put it on fruit. You can put it on crackers. All the things. I just put it in a spoon and ate it. Or you could just up. do that as Straight well. Straight to the point. Definitely a super, super amazing. Thrive Market uh, tailors to over 70 different diets, whether that's paleo, keto, or plant a plant base delivering the highest quality organic and sustainable um, essentials from groceries, healthy snacks, meat and seafood. Speaking of seafood, I ordered the um, lobster tails and they were mm-hmm. amazing. As a as a member, I'm saving 25 to 50% off traditional retail prices. And their carbon neutral shipping is free on orders over $49. Go to thrivemarket.com slash love hour to join today and you'll get a free gift for your choosing up to $22 in value. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash love hour to start your risk free membership and get a free gift today. Thrivemarket.com slash love hour. Make sure you try their almond butter. We also want to take a little time to talk to you about Native. Native is, listen, you want to talk about some deodorant that makes your life very much better, okay? And you know what? Deodorant you can trust. And not just deodorant, they also have um, their body wash scents. And I don't know about you guys, but lately with everything going on in a coronavirus, I've felt this kick to feel good by smelling good. Mm -hmm. And so I've been like dousing myself in all of the body washes, all of the perfume, all of the things, all the smell good lotions. Like I'm just using it up because I'm at home doing nothing. And when you smell good, you feel good. And listen, I believe reading labels is key. I do it everything from the food I buy to the beauty products I use. And yes, I use beauty products on my face and skin and the like. Even my deodorant from Native. My Native deodorant doesn't just block odor better. It's made better. Native has ingredients you've heard of like coconut oil, shea butter, tapioca starch. It's also vegan and never tested on the animals. With over 10 cents, including rotating seasonals, Native has something for everyone. Their most popular classic scents are coconut and vanilla. That's my favorite. Lavender and rose. And you can layer on the scents. You can get the coconut and lavender deodorant and then follow that by the coconut and lavender body wash and child. You be smelling good. Mm -hmm. And cucumber mint, citrus herbal, and Melissa's favorite is coconut and vanilla. And I love it. (laughs) I love how you be smelling all coconutty and vanilla-y. Also, Native is risk-free to try. Every product comes with free shipping within the U.S., plus free 30-day returns and exchanges. See why so many people love Native and check out their over 14,000 five-star reviews. If you don't believe us, for whatever reason, I don't know why you wouldn't, 14,000 people believe us. Okay, so 14,002. Do what I did and make the switch to Native today by going to nativedeo.com slash lovehour. Love Hour. Or use the promo code LOVEHOUR at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com 
dot com slash love hour love hour or use the promo code love hour at checkout for 20 percent off your first order okay and we are back thank you so much shout out to all of the amazing love hour podcast sponsors um one of the things that i think is really interesting is the difference in wording between infertility and sterile i'm not quite sure why they're not the same but I, when you just said it can render a man sterile, I was like, why isn't it called infertile? I don't yes. know, know that the, the reasoning behind that. There is some overlapping in the usage. Um, so when someone is infertile, they, are, they may have some aspects of sterility, but not necessarily. So when we use the word sterility, it tends to have the term some intent to it you know like when we tie someone's fallopian tube that is intentional sterilization making it impossible for them to conceive when we use sterility in the sense of a man similarly vasectomy is sterilization um uh, in the united states history uh there was a time when they were doing tubal ligations and hysterectomies on women, particularly women of either lower income or certain ethnic backgrounds without their consent. And that was forced sterilization. Mm. So I think also we don't use the word sterility, not because it's incorrect, but because it has that history Got attached it. Got to it. it. Got it. So if as a physician, I use the word sterile, it can be a harbinger to that time when unfortunately doctors were sterilizing women without their consents. Got it. And so there is an overlap, but we don't use it as often. Um, but we will use it if we want to jar someone uh, into reality. Because if I tell a guy testosterone can render him sterile, he's more likely to have heard the word sterile than he is to have heard infertile. Right. Got it. I it, it sterile is is does have a little more sting to it. Yeah. You know, I had thought about using testosterone. You know, be in the gym. <laughs> you see the guys, and you're like, I want that. I want that. I, I but has. yeah, but I don't think you. I, I know a lot of you know people, men. You aren't thinking like that. It's uh, no. you almost always think it's the woman's fault. Yeah. If, mm -hmm. if you mm -hmm. guys, you never think. Um, mm -hmm. What could I be? Yeah, we had Rachel and Terrence, and there was another issue where yeah. it was both, both of them, right? Mm -hmm. But that's because they went in together. Yes. Um, I, I can imagine that's not normal. I mean, obviously, I can imagine. And you say it. It's not, probably not normally the case. It's not normally the case, but I really hope as people hear us talk and they understand the scope of the issue, that they will understand, okay, even if I don't think that me, the guy that I have an issue psychologically i should go support my woman right. you know i'm gonna go with her and then yeah he'll hear that he needs a test and he'll be like oh, i'll do it for her that's yeah. fine at least we'll do the test right but you, you know it's also because it's not just a generation thing as in today you know because i know when i talk to my mom my mom's like this infertility thing we didn't hear about that when i was growing up yeah. and infertility existed like i said it goes all the way back to the bible Mm -hmm. biblical times but the truth is we are hearing more about infertility today because as a society in general we have delayed childbearing and so for most of us if we talk to our parents they had us when they were somewhere Great between point. 19 and 25 right that is a fantastic point yes and so we're going to hear about it more now and yet people 
from that generation where infertility wasn't heard of often, when they did hear infertility, it was always the woman. Right. Right. In the Bible, it was Sarah's problem, Hannah's problem. You name them, it was their problem, right. not Sarah and Abraham's. Right. <laughs> it wasn't two people's problems. So that's also passed on culturally, religiously. And so as a guy, from the time he was a boy, he's already heard it's the woman's issue. Right. Similarly, contraception is a woman's issue, That's right? So if sure. someone has an unintended pregnancy, the conversation is usually, why didn't she use protection? Right. Why wasn't went she on the pill? Birth control? Right. Yeah. You went on the pill and you're like, yes, true. But you know, he had a role too. Absolutely. And, and so I think that's part of the re-education that we're all working on. And again, why well, I'm happy to be here to talk about this. One of the things I think is really fantastic is that as a Black woman, the conversation is very relatable. Yeah. Um, and yes. I think my audience will find this. Even, even speaking about um, using the terminology of sterile and understanding the, um, the historical reference yeah. and what that might right. mean to people. If going mm -hmm. to a doctor that doesn't look like you may have a conversation you may walk out of there angry and upset not understanding why would he say that to me like yes. i don't understand why he doesn't know that that's not appropriate but when you have someone who looks like you grows up like you therefore not always but their issues are the same as yours in this world that we live in they're more sensitive to the same things that you would be sensitive to yes and you know we call that in medicine cultural sensitivity mm. and part of what i do and when i teach and lecture about disparities in medicine is explaining that you know yes patients want to see doctors who look like them and certainly in my field reproductive endocrine and infertility we're working on increasing the numbers so that our representation reflects the population that's coming to yeah. see us but on top of that is also making sure even if you don't look like your patient you understand Right. where this is coming from, right. right? You understand why culturally a patient may come in and even though you're telling her, you don't need to see me, you're not infertile, you have five children, but they're all girls, you understand why mm -hmm. she's coming to see you because she wants help because there right. may be a lot of cultural pressure on her to have that son because if she doesn't have that son, she may be divorced. She may become wife number two. She may be ostracized in her community because of how they rank boys versus girls. Right. And in so much as you can get all political and give her a lecture about girls and boys being equal, that doesn't change her day to day. Right. She's going back to. Right. Right. Her day to day is she needs a son. <laughs> And after you've understood it, that's where cultural sensitivity comes in and what we call cultural competence. There, man, that is, I think, so, okay. <laughs> I always wanted sons, right? Mm -hmm. Melissa wanted mm -hmm. a son. Mm -hmm. We had two sons right off the bat. I'm just listening to you think, and I'm thinking, I was happy with two boys because that's what I wanted. Had we had yes. two girls, I probably would have wanted to try for a son. Right. Had we had three girls, mm -hmm. I probably mm -hmm. would have wanted to try for a son. I would not have. Yes. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but I, it's a, because it's something I never had to think about. Sure. I didn't think about mm -hmm. like, you, you know. take it for granted. Yeah. My brother-in-law, yes. Craig, he only has a girl. He wanted a boy. Mm -hmm. Like he did not mm -hmm. want a girl, yes. but he wants a boy. So mm -hmm. had they only had one boy, they might be like, well, okay. You know what I mean? And our other yes. friend, Angel, 
she wanted a girl. Yeah. She has four sons. Right. And she tried for she had twin boys and was like, yes. one more time. And guy was like, another boy. And she's like, okay, yes. I no. No, and one more. Yes. Oh, Listen, snap. Yes. Amar was four. Yeah. Yeah. So you're gonna appreciate this. I have a first cousin who has six sons. Uh after the fifth son, he called everybody when his wife was pregnant the sixth time and he said, I'm having a daughter. And everybody was like, Hallelujah, thank God. Everybody was buying them stuff, sending them stuff. We were living in New York City at the time. And we purchased, oh my God, so much pink stuff, girl stuff. <laughs> and we shipped it. And I was just about to start medical school at the time. And I was listening to my mom talking to him on the phone. And I said, can you ask him when they've had the ultrasound, how do they know it's a girl? And he said, listen, I heard it in the dream. I was told this was a girl. Needless to say, that little boy had to wear a lot of pink stuff. <laughs> Needless to say, that little boy. <laughs> For his first year, because we all, I mean, it wasn't until maybe a week or two before delivery that we finally said, wait a minute, how do you know no. this one's a girl? I don't know at all. I just, I've been praying on it. I just feel it in my bones. Yes. He just decided if he prayed on it hard enough and felt it in his bones, he would will it to be a girl. Is there anything and you guys can do? Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Is there anything you can do to help determine the sex with the fertility? We do have some technology now. So there really? are things we can do with sperm separation. Um, we happen to know that the Y chromosome, which is the chromosome that dis determines male sex versus female sex. And notice I'm saying sex, not gender. Um, and it's, we can separate because the Y chromosome is smaller, so it's less dense. So there is some ways to do that. It's not 100% though, but you can skew it's in one way or the other. There is in vitro where you can test the embryos beforehand, before pregnancy, and know their sex before you got pregnant. Say so, that too. Yeah. Yes. So we call that um, family balancing. And so for people who are looking to balance out the family, um, you can do in vitro for family balancing. And that's something that some folks do. Uh, for some people, they feel very strongly. Maybe they only want two children, but they want one of each. Uh, it allows you to be able to do that. Let's stop here for the last ad break and then we'll come back and close it out. All right, as you guys know, I've talked about this many times. Kevin has a therapist. My sister has a therapist. And I thought it's a high time that Melissa gets a therapist. So I went to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P dot com to find a therapist for myself. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. The first therapist I met with, he, he, we didn't connect. But the great thing about this is that uh, it gives me the opportunity to switch, mix, and match in order to find a therapist that I believe. Can you be present? This is why I need a therapist, because when I talk to my husband, he's acting like other things are important and I need to release this to a person so I can help him get back on track. But on, since truly, the best thing about it is that I don't have to have like that awkwardness. I just say, like, we did not mesh. And then I get to go through and pick a new person. And also, it's not uncommon. Like, it's nothing wrong with having a therapist that you don't connect with. Right, like, right, it's, right. It's, most people have three or four therapists before they find a good fit. So the therapist knows that. You know, you're like dating therapy wise. So do not feel bad about that. It's expected to make sure you connect with somebody before you continue on your 
your journey. And they're so great. You can talk to your um, therapist via texting. You could do video conferencing. You could do a combination of both of those things. Uh, The service is available worldwide. You can log in at any time and talk to your counselor. You set up uh, weekly schedules with them. It's actually really, really, everything is going like virtual these days. Which is safer for you and it's more convenient. Absolutely. And in the uh, world we live in right now, you want to have as little contact with actual people as possible but uh mental health is really important so this allows you to do both of those things i do my therapy in the garage you do mm-hmm. yes and melissa for can't the hear what i say the boys can't hear what i say and it's not like against them it's just like you want to feel like you're you know private so what you're going to do, I know mental health, you know, right now in the day that day and age that we're in, it is important to take care of your mental health. You should take care of your mental health. Go to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash love hour. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over one million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in 50 states. Special offer for Love Hour listeners to get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P dot com slash Love Hour. Love Hour. All right, let's get back to the show with Dr. Cindy. All right, so we are back. I want to, I think we covered everything pretty much on my list of questions, just a normal conversation. I think this was really fantastic. Um, I kind of wanted to end, and I'll let you just kind of talk about unexplained infertility, like what that is, what that means, and then fertility myths. And I feel like maybe those two things will maybe intertwine with one another. There are a lot of myths. Um, Unexplained infertility is just what it says. It's unexplained. It means we've done the evaluation of the partners in the couple. We've looked at the eggs. We've looked at the sperm. We've looked at the womb. We've looked at the place in the body where sperm and egg are supposed to meet fallopian tubes. We've looked at hormones, uh, thyroid, etc. Because the truth is, fertility, meaning your ability to say, ovulate, release an egg, uh, your ability to make sperm, as I've alluded to already, is regulated by hormonal messages that the brain monitors and sends. And so your brain, you know, this is where my nerdy side comes in, but hormones are your body's chemical messengers. And so it's what tells your body to do everything that you feel on a day-to-day basis, whether you're happy, whether you're sad, whether you're going to be Girl, told, I need to regulate them hormones on a reg- more regular basis. Yeah. Tell my um, body to be happy in 2020. It's true. <laughs> it's your hormones that tells you get out of bed in the morning, your thyroid gland. This is a major hormone. That I ain't been you tripping your- since the beginning of the pandemic. I've been like, bro, don't get out of bed. You ain't got yes. nothing. Yes. Nothing matters. When is the ice cream? What, how early is it early to eat ice cream? Never yes. too early. It's already five it's so, in London. It's true. In order to call it unexplained, we have to have looked at all those things. We have to have looked and made sure the hormonal messaging is normal. Make sure the thyroid is working fine. And yes, in up to a third of our patients with infertility, after doing everything we've done, including looking at the hormones, we can't find a reasonable explanation. And so we call it unexplained. Now, I would tell you that 
20 years ago, it was about 50% of patients wow. that were called unexplained. What that means is as the technology gets better, as we find new things and understand more the processes involved in what it takes to create life, we are able to bring it down. So now we're down to a third, right? Mm. Um, there are some people who were calling unexplained in 2020 who by 2040, 2050, we will have an explanation. Got it. Um, but that's unexplained. And it's the most frustrating diagnosis because if you imagine what we've talked about with the psychological toll that infertility has on someone, telling them that you can't find a reason yeah. really leads yeah. them to think maybe it's me. It's all in my head. Oh, that's, I can imagine and that. It's got to be me be. mentally then. It's got to be me, you know. And of course, society doesn't help because that's where people are like, you know, you need to relax. Or right. somebody would say, you know, my husband and I just went on a vacation oh. and we got pregnant. Maybe that's your problem. You need oh to my go gosh. on vacation. That's Literally. probably where all of that toxic uh, positivity comes from. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of people are like, how can positivity be toxic? Well, it can be if you don't know the person's story. Right. Right. If you don't know how hard they've tried, how much he's been poked and prodded to find out what's going on, only to be told, I can't find a reason. Right. But it's still infertility. And right. so I, I try to explain that to my patients because I really want them to understand, even if I say it's unexplained, it's not me telling you you're the fault. I'm just telling you that our science and our technology hasn't caught up. Sure. Enough In the yet. Bible days, it was That's a, you, you needed the Lord to tell you. You did. Yeah. It was 100% unexplained. Yeah. It was 100%. <laughs> so, and so it's really important that people hear that so that they can breathe a sigh of relief right. and hear, oh, so yeah. she's not inadvertently telling me it's me right you know it's so it's so that the mother-in-law could hear it's not your daughter-in-law's fault it's not your son-in-law's fault that you know they haven't gotten pregnant because they spent all this money you know people have said it so you mean you went and you spent all that money right. only for them to tell you they have no explanation but what i say to people is this in addition to the fact that the science hasn't caught up it's that even though it's unexplained, we can treat it. So we still know the solution, oh. even if we haven't found the cause. Got it. And that's important so that people know there's hope there. As for myths, oh my God, there's so many myths, right? Yeah, before we go so, to the myths, can I ask one question? Yes, go for it. I, I kind of wanted you to explain the thyroid connection because I've talked about PCOS. I've talked about fibroids. I've talked about endometriosis. Mm -hmm. I haven't talked about thyroids and its impact on fertility. Yes. So and thyroid is important to talk about because between 10 to 20% of women suffer with thyroid issues in the general population. Okay. And so like I said, your thyroid is this butterfly-shaped gland that sits right in front of your windpipe. It makes a hormone known as thyroxine, which is your body's get up and go. If your thyroid isn't working, your body just gains weight nonstop because your metabolism slows to a halt. Okay. If your thyroid isn't working, your mood drops right away um, because it, again, it's your get up and go. And so even if everything else is normal, you just feel under the weather, lethargic, tired, like you're dragging. And actually, if you see someone who's suffering from untreated underactive thyroid that's literally how they look they take forever just to move their leg one step 
oh, because wow. the muscles, right? Your thyroid hormone travels to all your muscles. It travels to your heart. It travels to your intestines. Mm. It travels to your ovaries and your testicles to tell them, let's go. Mm. And so if your thyroid isn't working well, your brain immediately starts thinking something's wrong, something's wrong, because your thyroid is such an integral and important hormone that if the thyroid is underactive, your brain starts saying, huh, maybe we're not healthy enough to carry a baby. And so your ovulation, if you're a woman, tends to decrease because your body's like, I got to fix this before I take on another task here. Because the body's ability to carry a baby, a woman's body undergoes a lot of changes. All the changes. All the changes. (laughs) All the changes. And so your brain is like, how healthy are we to do this? And if it's like my get up and go center isn't right, it's going to say maybe we wait. So women with, because you can have underactive, you can also have overactive thyroid. Women with underactive thyroid, what they tend to see, and men too, is weight gain. Despite trying to exercise, you're not getting the same results. You're noticing it's almost like a bloated kind of weight gain because you end up with a fluid retention known as mixed edema. So you see sort of that bloaty look. Um, Many women with underactive thyroid, hypothyroidism, they'll also notice they're having heavy bleeding. So their periods are heavy or they're going for a long time. And that's because now the womb is doing things separate from the ovary because the ovary is not really getting the message it usually gets from the brain and thyroid. Overactive thyroid is the opposite. These people tend to lose weight fast, so they get skinny fast. They feel their heart racing. It almost feels like they're in a sense of doom. They have all of a sudden, out of nowhere, nonstop panic attacks. You know, and that's because the hormone is overenergized. You're overenergized. Everything Mm. is just like go, 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 go. You know, your eyes start growing and protruding, so they have sort of the glaring eyes because everything is like you know they they look like they're frightened. Yeah, got it. And that's the the glow. So the thyroid is super important. It's an integral part of the evaluation for the hormonal evaluation. We look at thyroid, we look at estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, but we also look at thyroid. We look at the milk hormone from your brain called prolactin, because prolactin is another one where if you're making extra milk hormone, think of it this way. If you're making extra milk hormone, the body's like, maybe I'm breastfeeding somebody. So it's not not time to carry another one yet. And so we test that. Because we'll need to fix it so that the body knows, hey, it's okay to carry another one. She's not otherwise occupied here, you know. Wow. And it's, that's what I said. The, the chemistry of our body is really amazing. This design, this system. You're like, whoa, it's really that sensitive? It is. It really yeah. is. Um, and so it's important that we check all those. Um, I've met patients like that too, by the way, who they had a basic workup, but nobody looks at the hormones. And if you don't correct that, she either won't get pregnant or she'll miscarry because mm. the body's like, we're not in a good place here. It's a, you it's know? your body's way of like self-regulating. It, it's, it's under, self-regulating. It's, it's, it could be, um, really protecting you for something dangerous, but you don't need the protection. So it actually ends up exactly. doing kind of the opposite, but it really is your exactly. body's way of saying, girl, now is not the time because yep. you no. going on. Yeah. So let's just mm-hmm. talk about no. And you're like, be- remember, you don't got a lot of going on. Yeah. Everything's cool. It's cool. Right. Like girl. <laughs> yeah. Stop it. And that's the thing, right? Because ultimately your brain's purpose is to keep itself alive. The organism. 
it's like you said, self-preservation. And so it's going to try to do that. If you have diabetes, but it's not well controlled, as it's trying to fix the hormonal issue of diabetes, it's trying to get the thyroid to help it. And so mm -hmm. the thyroid could go out of sync, out of whack when that's happening. And so it's important that people understand all that. And we didn't even talk about the things like fibroids and endometriosis and other things that can go on too. But those are all things that play a role and all things that can lead to some myths but also lead to you not falling through on a myth. So, you know, one myth that I think a lot of people have assumed is that we're born with, we keep making eggs. It's a very common myth that, so, you know, and I we just, all, not, I just learned this Saturday that this is Saturday, a myth. Saturday, yes, yes, it's a myth. And yet, especially in a lot of communities, the way we, convince ourselves of this myth is we think of the one person we've ever heard of who had a child later on in life. Holly Berry. It's <laughs> so true. It only takes one person. You'd be like, oh, I, she could do it. I could do it. Yes. Yeah. And in communities of color, especially where we don't generally look our age for a long time, mm -hmm. um, many of us can end up tricking ourselves into thinking, if I can still look this young, my ovaries must also look this young. But that's not true. Mm. From the moment a baby girl is born, her egg number starts declining. So to put it in perspective, your eggs form around 20 weeks in the belly, that five month mark of pregnancy, a little girl's eggs have formed. About 4 million eggs form. By the time she's born, that number drops to somewhere between one and two million at birth. That's great. By puberty, and mind you, you know, when our moms were growing up, our moms were going into puberty 13, 14, 15, 16. Now we're going into puberty age 8, 9, 10. Wow. By puberty, they're down to about 400,000 eggs. And the numbers keep falling oh such that by God. the time she's 40 years old, she's left with only 3% of the eggs she was born. Wow. Now also, so take into account puberty earlier but then waiting till later to have kids you have a less you have that many much less, smaller pool to work less with. pool of viable eggs mm -hmm. and if you think of your eggs and the system that's selecting your eggs as going for the best first it's going to use up your best ones early mm. right and so as you get later on in age or in the egg pool the quality of the eggs is also changing. Mm. And so it's, that's part of why we're encouraging people to consider freezing your eggs when you're younger, even if you're not sure you're going to need to use them. And it's because we don't have a way of turning back the clock. Mm. Why not freeze your eggs when it's the youngest version of yourself yeah. that you right. can preserve? Right. Yeah. The issue of birth control. Many people think that if you go on birth control, it accelerates the loss of your eggs. Actually, not true. So that's another myth. There's this myth that because somebody was on birth control, she messed up her fertility. Right. It's actually not true. Your egg numbers will decline whether or not you're on birth control. That's just natural biology. Mm -hmm. And likewise, because of that, being on birth control doesn't mean you're going to have a lot of eggs when you come off birth control compared to someone who did not do birth control. Got it. The biology and the process that's causing what we call apoptosis, which is the eggs going away, happens continuously. Regardless. Regardless. But birth control can actually be protective in special cases. 
one of them being endometriosis. So endometriosis is this inflammatory process that leads to chemicals being made in your body that are toxic for eggs. And so women with endometriosis tend to have their eggs die off at a faster rate oh. than the average woman because of these toxic inflammatory markers being made. So the way to help her keep her egg numbers is to keep her endometriosis suppressed, meaning keep those toxic chemicals from being made. And that's what birth control helps with. It keeps the ovaries quiet. And so it keeps the inflammation at bay. And as a result, you're less likely to have as much damage to your ovaries and it can help you preserve your egg pool for longer. Got it. So what you're basically saying is that endometriosis untreated, the toxins that it creates infects more eggs than a person without yeah, it endometriosis. Kills them. It, kills it kills them. them. So and then, so, go ahead. Yeah. No, so it's not uncommon to meet a woman with endometriosis and she'll have maybe one half or one tenth of the eggs, someone her same age. Will Got have it. Got it. And that's how it impacts infertility. Correct. And Got so endometriosis it. leads to infertility because it kills off eggs. So it leads to what we call a special type of infertility known as diminished ovarian reserve. Got it. it leads to that too, because if you need repeated surgery, every time your doctor operates on your ovary, they're going to take away some healthy eggs. Ah. Um, it can also scar the fallopian tubes. And so sperm and egg cannot meet even if you have some eggs. Um, but yes, endometriosis has a major impact on fertility and thus leads to infertility. Got it. Um, and it's important for people to know that. Uh, other myths is like I was alluding to before, uh, the black doesn't crack principle, mm -hmm. which is because we look so good, we assume our egg numbers are there. We couple that with another societal myth, which is that black women have a lot of children when they're teenagers, yada, yada, yada. But the truth is when you actually look at the numbers, black women are the highest educated group of women. And now the women- <laughs> yes. And now the group of women least likely to have had their first baby by 35, least likely to have been married by age 40. So we're actually the group more likely to be suffering with infertility by the time we get married. Right. And so one of the things that's important to start letting Black women know, and I'm saying it here, I'm talking to churches, et cetera, is because we've got to, when we're telling our sisters, oh, the right one's going to come, he's going to come, wait, you know, also say, girl, did you freeze those eggs? Yes. Because <laughs> you want to have some eggs for when he comes, you know, when we finally meet Mr. Right, yeah. I want you to have those eggs. Right. And I think it's important that we put those two together yeah. because it is devastating to have to sit across from a woman who's 41, 42, she's got her act together. She went to school. She did all the right things. She, you know, and here I am breaking the news to her mm -hmm. that right. she doesn't have eggs. And she's like, but how is that possible? I did all the right things. Right. I didn't play around. I oh, didn't that's do this, disappointing. Mm -hmm. you know. Um, but I also, it's not a myth, but it's a taboo as it comes to fertility. I'm also about letting people know we don't have to make our young people feel guilty if they have a baby young. Yes. Right? Fertility is such that in a lot of cultures, it's applauded. In our culture, we tell our young girls very scary things about fertility. Right. And right. then suddenly when she hits 40, we say to her, where's the baby? Yes. 
you know, and they go together. You can't just scare her away from life, intimacy, relationships, but suddenly at 40, ask her, why didn't you do all those things? Amen. And we need a balance. We need a balance. At least that's my view. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with you, uh, Dr. Cindy. Me neither. Um, I th okay, so two things I want to say. Uh, first thing I want to say is that the episode, I'm going to call this like infertility education or fertility education, part one and part two. So <laughs> Dr. Cindy's will be part one, part two, we will go over in detail endometriosis, although the definition that Dr. Cindy gave today will give you a really good framework for what we talk about mm -hmm. in part two, but we'll mm -hmm. talk about endometriosis. We'll talk about PCOS. We'll talk about, um, fibroids and, yes. um, I think that's it. We talked about thyroids in this episode. So mm -hmm. um, the second thing I wanted to say was I thought this was phenomenal. <laughs> this is such good Thank information. You. I enjoyed it. Yes. Such good information that is just not taught. Yeah. Not common knowledge at all. I'm yeah. good, closing on 40 years old. Never even thought about most of this stuff. Because, you know, if it's not a thing you deal with, you don't have to do much research. But mm -mm. I'm realizing how we can help even in how we frame conversations yeah. about that, yes. that yes. are not related to us, just in how mm -hmm. we talk about sex mm -hmm. and children and things like that. Like yes. not making women feel bad for having kids when they're young, you yes. know? Like, no, I, I honestly think we need to break that stigma. We need to explain if it happens, this is what we do and let's talk about it, but you don't have to make people feel guilty. Right. Um, likewise, you know, excuse me. <laughs> if you've got your goal getter daughter she's going to school she's going to college she's going to graduate school it's okay to introduce the conversation about egg freezing to her um i have talked about the fact that i see people particularly from certain cultures coming to my clinic and they're gifting their daughters uh, egg freezing cycle as college graduation wow they're gifting their daughters wow. egg cycle at their phd thesis defense and I feel like that's a place we need to get to. Come on, girl, right. go and get you, save your eggs so you can focus on what you want to do, but you get how to make it. Yes. And so I think it's, it's just the conversation needs to start. I'm not saying you have to do it, but I think, you know, I have so many friends of mine who are shocked when they hear the statistics about the egg numbers and the decline. Yeah. And when they hear what the actual cost is for an egg freezing cycle, that and you hear them say, that was my one fancy vacation that one year I could have foregone. Um, I have friends who do two, three fancy vacations per year. I'm a, I'm a, outside of Corona, we're two, three fancy vacs. Well, yeah. I would like to know, can you give us, uh, first of all, do, does insurance normally cover this? And um, I mean, obviously, what's the range? And maybe if you know, like a, a national right. range. Mm-hmm. So more and more insurances are covering it and they're covering it in part because we've now worked so hard so that people know infertility is a disease Yes, and that it actually costs more to treat infertility than to preserve fertility. Ah. And when it comes to talking to insurance companies, et cetera, that's an important way to talk to them, right? Because they're really looking at the numbers. Yeah. So the way you talk to a numbers person is say, hey, I know you're concerned about the costs of the treatment for the disease. How about if I tell you that if you just did a little bit more prevention, you'll spend less treating. Right. And that's how we have it. So a lot more employers in the United States actually cover fertility treatments and infertility treatments, including 
egg freezing. The first ones to really publicize it were the Googles, the Facebooks, sure. because they realized that they were hiring a lot of young tech savvy women who tended to either date later, marry later, have children later. Right. And one way to recruit them is the benefit package by saying, we'll cover this cost for you. Mm. But now it's extended to companies like Uber, Lyft, Delta, um, Starbucks, wow. uh, Amazon, lots. So at this point, across the United States, those are top tier companies, but wow, top tier companies, <laughs> but they're hiring a lot. But they've also now, because they've been involved, they've partnered with what we call fertility extenders who are now offering the service to do you know if you work for the Dollar Tree, they provide fertility benefits? Oh, wow, they do because they're part of that consortium. Got and it. so it's a pretty interesting piece of McDonald's. If you're a manager at McDonald's, they cover in vitro for two cycles for twenty five thousand dollars worth. You know, um, but the key to insurance coverage is you have to ask for it, and that's something I like to tell patients because again, no company is going to willingly tell you we cover all these things. Sure, sure. <laughs> and so you have to go to your HR person, human resources, and say. Do we have a plan that has fertility benefits? Because what you may find is it may be a difference of a $10 to $50 deduction from your paycheck, but it's still cheaper than paying $12,000 pocket. Right, yeah. right. And so, you know, if it's something that's important to you, when open enrollment comes around, it's important to ask them, yes, about emergency room, labor and delivery, all the other costs. But if fertility or infertility is important to you, you should also ask them, is there a plan that covers this? Because you may find that for the one year you want to upgrade. Right. That That's the plan. other great thing. Yeah. It's not, it's not permanent. It's not always. It's not you, permanent. Do it yes. yeah. you may say, you know, I want to upgrade for next year because that's the year I'm going to do this. Right. Um, but in terms of costs, egg freezing across the United States ranges from somewhere between 5,000 us dollars and 8,000 us dollars. That's on not average. bad. It's not bad. And that's why I say, you know, if you planned and saved, you could, you know, let's say you're 27 and you're like, I want to do this at 30. You can start planning. Yeah. There are also fertility financing companies available. So if you I'm, wanted to find it, literally, um, I've seen people who come in and grandma pay for it or grandpa, because to them, it was really important that you want that grandbaby so bad you how about you chip in <laughs> or shut up it about happens. it exactly <laughs> they're gonna so, be the ones know, putting pressure on you they are they usually yeah. and so that's how you come back to them you say well grandma here's what i, I know it's important to you <laughs> yeah here's what i want to girl here's the dollar amount you got your checkbook out or nah <laughs> yeah. I mean, Big grandma, grandma gonna be like, all right, now what you doing with my eggs? They do, they do, because they do follow up. They're like, it's been two years. <laughs> they do Are we gonna use up. the eggs? <laughs> um, it's true, it's true. And so I think it's, it's just, it's a conversation that needs to happen. We need to take the taboo off of it so that there's not that guilt. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, there are a lot of celebrities who've done wonders in the field and I'm grateful, you know, from Michelle Obama sharing mm -hmm. that she had her beautiful, brilliant girls via IVF. Yes. Because a lot of people, in vitro is only 42 mm -hmm. years old. Yes, Sasha and Malia. Sasha and Malia. In vitro babies. Oh, you got to read Becoming, child. That's good. That's yes. Good. 
She talks about her miscarriages. Sure she did. was really open about well, it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciated that because for a lot of people, particularly in communities of color, they have felt strongly that that's not something we talk about. Right. Yeah. right. And again, if you go back to slavery, where there was forced birth, et cetera, the last thing we want is people to tell us when to have kids or when not to yeah. have kids. Right. Yeah. Right. You, you had your say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? You've had your say. And so it's important that we let people know, no, the conversation. I love that Michelle Obama did it. Tyra Banks shared hers. Gabrielle Union shared her story. You know, um, so many people are sharing. And it's important because the more people talk, you know, John Legend and Chrissy Teigen talked about in vitro and even selecting the male, female, you know, balancing their family. I think that's important to start the conversation. Yeah. Really good. Um, so Dr. Cindy, I always like to give people, if they're interested in following you, can you give them your um, Instagram information? If you have a Facebook, also you are in the state of Nevada because the other thing I really love is showcasing black doctors. So people can go out there and find themselves a doctor that looks like them. I think that is like a move, especially right now, where it is so important to find someone will who will have empathy and compassion and understand your cultural background when you are going to see them. So if you are taking new patients, can you also one more time give out your clinic and where to find you and that kind of thing? Absolutely. So I'm across all social media platforms at Dr. Cindy M. Duke. Uh, D-R-C is in Charlie, I-N-D-Y, M is in Mary, D-U-K-E. Dr. Cindy M. Duke, you find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok. All the platforms. (laughs) platforms. You be TikToking? I'm on TikTok. Um, I go to watch other people. In addition, um, you can find my clinic if you're in the United States at Nevada Fertility Institute or fertilitynevada.com. I have the Dr. Cindy Duke page um, where you can also find the link to my clinic. I also have an international virtual clinic for people who want to see me via telemedicine. And that extends to people in the Caribbean and other parts of the world. And we can arrange for you to see me via video see me get your labs ordered get tests brought to you where you are and so lots of different ways but I'm also more than happy to refer to other doctors in the state that you live and so while yes I'm based in Las Vegas and people come to me from Chicago Connecticut all over the United States if you are not someone who's so inclined to come to beautiful Las Vegas then (laughs) I will tell you um who I know. And I feel confident that at this point, I know people in all 50 states. Wow. So I can refer um, people who I trust, people who I would go to if I were the patient. And that is certainly the bar I hold for myself and people I refer to is, would I go there? Would I send my mom there? And I think that's an important bar to have. Um, But yeah, and there you can see my blogs, my posts, uh, et cetera. 
Love, love, love that. Thank you so much. I think this has been such an interesting um, conversation that I think people will find a lot of value in. And I know I certainly learned a lot. We covered a lot of topics in, you know, an hour and 20 minutes or so. So thank you so very much for joining us. Don't forget that next week, make sure you guys listen to the end because I know they're going to be comments. You didn't talk about this. You didn't talk about this. You didn't talk about this. Hold it, girl. Hold it, okay? Because next week we have Dr. Anu Katharisa on and we will go over endometriosis we will go over fibroids and we will go over pcos and like a few other things but i know those are like the big rocks people always want to talk about um even i think we briefly touch on like secondary infertility as well as we did today uh so thank you guys so much for joining us today for another episode of the love hour oh 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 o'reilly you need parts o'reilly auto parts has parts Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.